Welcome to Funding the Future, a special edition of Category Visionaries, where instead of interviewing founders, we interview the VCs and angel investors that back them with capital, resources, and advice. Now, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Brett Calhoun, Managing Director and General Partner at Scale VC. Brett, thanks for chatting with me today. Brett, thanks for having me. Feels kind of weird, right? Saying Brett. <laughs> There's only been one other occurrence where I uh, I had a solo call with a Brett, so this is definitely unusual. <laughs> All right, well, we'll do our best to both navigate this together. Now, let's kick things off with just a, a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Yep. So, Brett Calhoun, based in Columbia, Missouri, which is pretty unique for a VC to be based. We're in the heart of Missouri between St. Louis and Kansas City. Currently, managing director and general partner at a fund called Scale VC. And we invested the idea to early traction phase of in founders across North America. Generalist fund, so we will back any founders in software, hardware tech. I would say anything in life science or bio is a little bit outside our purview, though. We can dive a little bit more, I guess, later in, into exactly what we do at scale. But prior to scale, I've been on the start on finance and then I've been on the investor and operator side. Did the whole CPA route at undergrad, started doing valuation work, and that was really bucketed into sell-side M&A litigation and intangible technology valuations for PE roll-ups. Got into the venture space in grad school and obviously wasn't exposed to it until then, which a lot of people in the Midwest aren't. Had the opportunity to work with a fund investing in Missouri founders and quickly became very curious about the industry. It was It definitely wooed me right out the gate. I hadn't ever experienced I have never even heard of venture capital until grad school. So from there, obviously fell in love with backing founders who are really passionate about building their dreams. And I worked with one of our portfolio companies called Patient, sells an early employee there. It's uh, but a serious seed fintech now, and they're also based in Columbia, Missouri. Fast forward a little bit, worked with the Legal Tech Fund, and we had started a company when I was there. I was in the founding team, a company called Cap Gains. So we're building complex or software for complex tax incentives. So thing called QSPS, which if you're an investor or founder or anybody on a, that's a shareholder of an early stage tech startup listening to this call, it's something that's very important. They could save you millions of dollars one day in taxes. And I also started a company called Charlie Mike, which we were financing closing costs on VA mortgages and grew that to about a million ARR in 12 months and then skip over a few things and end up at scale now, which we started two years ago with my partners, Willie Schlax and Jane Malik. And that is, that is me. And what's the tech landscape like in Missouri today? We haven't had many people on the show who come from Missouri. So if you can paint a picture for us, that would be awesome. I mean, it's a vibrant tech scene. Now, if you compare it to like SF, it's obviously doesn't look vibrant, but there's a lot of great entrepreneurs in the space, a lot of first-time founders, a lot of founders coming out of, I would say like the tech space there really started booming probably a decade ago. So now you have a lot of early employees of those companies leaving and starting companies. So we're in that period where it's really starting to be a very fruitful ecosystem, especially in Kansas City, which is kind of the up and coming city in the state. And then Columbia, Missouri, which is really unique where we're based. It's a town of about 120,000 people. And what a lot of people don't know is that two of the top 25 YC companies actually came out of Columbia, Missouri. So one being Zapier and the second being Equipment Share, which is the company my, my partners in scale started. Both of those companies are multi-billion dollars now, 
and Equimature's uh, multi-billion revenue. Other companies that come out of Columbia are like Carfax, Beyond Meat, Veterans United Home Loans. So a handful of multi-billion dollar companies. And I think one thing that a lot of people don't recognize from Missouri is because a lot of founders there just have a ton of humility and tend to fly under the radar and to move away from press. And so a lot of the cool stuff happening in Missouri tends to not get picked up by TechCrunch and other other news sources because they just don't care. But it really is a growing and vibrant ecosystem. And do you only invest in companies that are based there or does it not matter the location of the teams? North, based in North America. Would love to expand it internationally, but as you know, small teams. So we have bandwidth. Love supporting founders locally, which obviously we have the capacity to do that. We have unfair advantage to like on in Columbia. We've got a we've got a great partnership with the University of Missouri and their endowment invested in us. We're actually gonna launch a student accelerator on campus over there and help support student ventures. It's been a lot of great alumni come out of University of Missouri. It's generally primarily untapped. So and talking about University of Missouri, it's a whole system. So there's four main universities underneath the system. So, and, and one of them is like Missouri S&T, which is where Jack Dorsey came out of. And then University of Missouri, there's a handful of people, obviously equipment chair, had a couple founders from Mizzou, Zapier, Goodleap, Hayes Barnard, who's one of the top 400 richest people in the US, or 4,000, I can't remember. Don't mark me for that one. But we primarily invest across North America, not just, we don't really have geo barriers. And can you tell us a bit more about Scale VC and the, the size of the fund and any of the other investments that you've made that our audience may know about? Yeah. So we've only been around for two years. So a lot of our investments have not really come to fruition. We're basically on fund one, which is kind of our dip the toes in the water. First fund was friends and family. We put essentially like an SPV together and, and deployed that over 12 months into about 20 companies writing small checks. Fund two is five million bucks. We have 34 LPs, University of Missouri Endowment, Shelter Insurance. And then we've got a handful of successful operators from the Missouri area, Kansas City to St. Louis. We write 50K to 150K checks. And then our product really is capital plus support. On the support side, you know, one thing that makes us unique, obviously, is that we're in Columbia, Missouri. And there's, so if you, if anybody ever mentioned the fund in Columbia, they're going to know who it is. But from a support perspective, you know, there's like this growing trend for the platform VC. You know, you help founders with network effects and and resources and getting intros to certain people. Like we can do that. And we can do that for people in Columbia, Missouri and get them access to folks in NSF, to New York, to Miami, to Washington. Or we can help do that with, with people in New York City or San Francisco. But the unique level of support, because everybody's that's somewhat getting us becoming a saturated market. The unique level of support is the fact that we have a lot of really successful operators who are financially involved and personally involved on an intimate level and want to be because they've created generational wealth for themselves and how they want to help other people do the same. And we're talking, for example, my my partner, Willie, who's him and his brother uh, started Equipment Share, and he's grown the product team there to a few hundred people. And that entails building out the largest equipment rental marketplace in the world construction management software, robotics, telematics, which allows us to cover software to hardware and be deeply involved in the customer and product discovery journey founders are taking. And not just from a investor's perspective of being able to, you know, learn from osmosis and have pattern recognition from investing in companies, but from pattern recognition from hiring 10,000 people 
building teams of thousands and raising billions of dollars and launching multiple products. And so Willie has really dedicated a lot of his time and so have a lot of other founders around the table who are advisors. If you look on our website, I don't want to mention all of them, but that has really given us an edge and how we can support companies. And a lot of people don't believe it at first, but when you see somebody at that caliber, it's, you feel like it's more just for marketing, but it's not. Our team is extremely responsive and yeah, and we do it right here in Columbia, Missouri. And I'm sure over the course of your work, you've interacted with some amazing founders and operators. Are there any patterns you see in terms of like the traits and skill sets that these entrepreneurs and operators have? Definitely. So I think it's being able to, there's a few things. One, something I've, I've kind of been hung up on lately is this word paranoia. And it can be kind of like a love-hate relationship, but I think people who are extremely paranoid about their customers and their product and trying to get that last like 0.001% correct are always the best founders. And, you know, there's different reasons why that is. It could be your personality type. It could be like you have a chip on your shoulder or you come from Missouri. You're going to prove everybody wrong. And you're never going to stop until you're done. And so you're completely paranoid about what you're doing. There's a reason why you're paranoid about being the best. And it doesn't matter if there's already a successful company in the space or, you know, investors are questioning your mode or whatever. It's like, you're going to be successful regardless. And then also pairing that with thoughtfulness and the ability to execute. So I think there's a lot of like very thoughtful founders, very intelligent, smart. They can, you know, have a mental map on how they're going to, you know, delight customers, but it's really finding the equilibrium of the ones who cannot just have that mental map or thoughtfulness, but can execute on it and do it quickly and be completely paranoid all the time about it. Those are some traits that we definitely look for. And it's hard to test for that, especially if it's a first time founder, you know, there's not a lot of track record or history to look on. And that being said, it's even second time founders, it's almost like restarting again. So you have to be careful about looking at track record and uh, it doesn't always repeat itself. But those are a few of the traits that I've always, we've always keep our eye on. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now back to today's episode. And in a typical month, how many pitches are you sitting through, would you say, if you had to guess? Gosh, this is something I actually need to do better at. I just hired an associate, so I probably take too many pitches. In a month, probably 200, I would say. 150 to 200. Wow. <laughs> and in those pitches, are there any like common red flags or mistakes that you see founders making when they're pitching you? Yes. The ones that it takes like 20 minutes to explain to you what they're doing, that's a red flag. Like you've got to be able to do this in a couple of minutes. Like the ability to articulate is so important. And it's, this is another trait. I mean, I didn't even mention it because I didn't want to, you know, read down a list of all the traits we look for, but being able to be technical and go deep into something, let's just say you've been working on this for the last 18 months and it's all you've been thinking about for 24 seven and your perspective on that's going to be completely different than mine. But what you have to be able to do is you have to be able to let me see your perspective in a couple of minutes. And that's really hard to do. So the art of articulation is super important. And that's not just for investors with raising capital. I mean, it's important for me. It's like, if this founder needs to go raise capital, they need to have a strong ability to articulate. But 
It's also important for when you're trying to hire somebody and you have to sell that vision. It's also important when you're trying to, you know, get those first customers and get people to take a risk on your product. And maybe they have to transition their entire business over to what you're doing. And you might even have to hire consultants or, you know, do things that don't scale and, and use a lot of man and woman power in the early days to onboard that customer. So I think the art of articulation gets missed a lot. And then I also think that you can see the difference. Like if I were to talk to somebody and then let's say like we do a follow-up call with, with my partner and somebody gets really anxious and they just completely drop the ball. Like that's, that's not like, I wouldn't say initially a red flag, but it is, it is somewhat concerning. It's like, you know, if, if you get too anxious by meeting the next person on like a sales call, are you going to drop the ball there with the customer? We're constantly always looking at like personalities, styles too, and how the founders work together. I think those are really important. Like you only beyond pedigree. Like it's not just about where you ex Google or uh, ex Apple, or did you go to Harvard and Stanford? It's it's like, what are your traits, habits, and characteristics that are going to really make you successful in the long term? And given the current market today, what are conversations like with the founders that you've invested in? And what type of advice are you giving to them to help navigate given everything that's going on? So it's going to depend. Like, and this is somewhat of a case-by-case basis because it's going to depend on what the founder's background was. You know, are they a multi-founder? Have they been successful already? To now, like... And then what is the makeup of the team? What is your background? Like, it also depends on the investor. Are you looking for like the flashy logos? Does that really matter? Because the founder's background at the pre-seed stage, like you could easily raise like a pre-product, pre-revenue, 10 million post-money cap. Like if you have the right background, you can woo investors. And then you have the ones that's like, they haven't had some of those backgrounds. They didn't have the Harvard, Stanford logos or whatever. Uh, I'm just using that as, as a general logo for other ones. So now you've maybe got a little bit of traction or like you're in, you're building the product, but it's like, gosh, we need to raise a little bit of funding so that we can service customers. And depending on the situation and the industry you're in, some industries, it's like, if you don't go out and raise 2 million bucks, 1.5 million bucks at the pre-seed stage, it doesn't look like you're taking this seriously. So you have to be careful with that. But then on the flip side, it's like, okay, if you can squeeze by with a little bit of capital now and kind of tranche your raise... So you can hit certain milestones. I think that's a good strategy to take. And maybe it's getting a couple of customers to put in some small checks. Maybe it's getting some strategic angels who really understand your problem. And the founders that don't have the networks for that right out the gate, it's going to like investors. Like if you had like a perfect investor list, maybe you have like 20 investors. You're like, oh my gosh, I would run to the top of a hill and scream if this person invested in my company. Like going to their portfolio and reaching out to their founders and saying, Hey, we just love to chat and like, you know, get some feedback from you. And then, and then you on the call, you can talk to them about the investor and see if it's possible, you know, if they're excited about what you're doing, if they can give you intros to, to those funds. Like that's one way if you don't have the network to kind of like back into it. I mean, it's not like hyper scalable. It takes time, but that's how this works. It's a, it's a relationship game. Like you don't want to just go to market out of nowhere and just like plant your flag on the ground and say like, we're raising two million bucks. It's a, hey, like I want to tell you about my idea, our team and like what we're building. And then in six months from now, we're going to be raising. Like you want to, you want to build up some momentum up to the raise to the point where people are asking you if they can invest in the company before you're actually starting to raise. So it's somewhat of a game. Now, in addition, let's just say like you're a pre seed company, you're pre-product, you want to raise 1.5 million bucks. There's pros and cons to that too, because there's a point where you can raise too much money. 
Because if you've raised too much money, in some cases you can lose, and this really depends on the, on the person's personality. Maybe that was like such a big win for you that you start to lose some of that paranoia with the product and the customer. And you start feeling a little bit more comfortable. You start hiring a bunch of people and you're like, well, I have a lot of money. Things aren't working out. Let's just pivot. Instead of saying like, you're hyper paranoid and you're going to make this product work. So there are some pros and cons to that. So that's some of the advice we give to founders. Take it with a grain of salt though. That's just from my point of view, there's a lot of different ways you can go about this. What about category creation? So how often do you have a founder come in and say, this is a totally new category that we're looking to create? And if they do say that, is that something you're on board with? Or do you prefer to make investments where it's an established market category and they're going to take a challenger position in that category? I love investing in companies that are creating new categories. I mean, obviously that's like the biggest risk, biggest reward. It just depends on the person that's behind the company that's creating this new category. And, you know, in the pre-seed stage, you can try to check all these boxes and do all this research and mental models and, you know, maybe even have like an Excel spreadsheet that scores it and gives you an output. But at the end of the day, it's like at the pre-seed stage, you really don't know. I mean, you could throw like 10 darts at the wall and probably get a better accuracy than, than throwing 10 darts at pre-seed startups. But yes, short answer to the question is we do we do like investing in category defining companies and we really have an open mind to everything. At the end of the day, what it really comes down to is like we're looking for awesome people to back. And I know that sounds like, gosh, that sounds like every VC out there. They're always like, yeah, we're backing. We invest in people. But <laughs> and it's also at the pre-seed stage, like that's all there really is. Like if you're investing in somebody who's creating a new market, there's not really a market there to assess. You're like, okay. I guess like Airbnb in the early days, they couldn't get anybody to invest in their company because they're like, no one's going to let people use their house. But look, they created a market and that's, I use Airbnb all the time. So it's really about the founders and you're underwriting the people. Yeah. And final couple of questions here. So are there any specific opportunities that you're really excited about or specific markets that you want to get more involved in and you're looking for founders in? Yes, I would say probably more of the boring stuff in like property technology or industrials, hardware technology, or like where software meets hardware. We do love fintech. I'm, it's kind of, I kind of have a bias towards fintech just because of my background there. And I think it's such a, there's just so many awesome business opportunities in, in the fintech world because everybody wants money. It's like finding your niche and then being able to market to that person uniquely, cut out the customer acquisition costs and you make more dollar for dollar in cash. Yeah, those would be probably the four buckets. We recently just did a deal with a company in the construction space. They're essentially like the first like instruction, smart construction contract management and procurement platform. If you go look up like top construction management platforms, it's all these companies that look like they were built in like the 1980s, like these legacy systems. And so we're excited about some of those more boring companies. Yeah. And final question here, what do you anticipate is going to happen in the world of venture over the next, let's say, 12 to 24 months? Gosh, it's hard to say. I think over the next 12 months, we're probably going to be at the similar pace that we are now as nobody really knows what's going to happen. You're still in this weird limbo of like, is there going to be a full-blown recession? Is there not? Are the Fed's going to raise rates again? Is the housing market going to crash or most likely the commercial real estate market? You know, how is that going to affect downstream people investing in funds? There's a lot of dry powder in the markets right now. 
So I don't think it's going to be to a point where it's like there's no capital to raise. And, you know, 24 months from now, there's still going to be a lot of capital. And because people are slower to deploy right now, the next question is going to be is like, in beyond 24 months, what are rates going to come down? And when is venture going to be, is venture still going to be an attractive investment? Because why would you not go put your money into like T-bills at like a five and a half percent rate? So, and then a lot of, gosh, like a lot of pension funds and endowments have been burned by some of those larger funds. I mean, if you look at like Tiger and maybe it was like SoftBank, they only raised like 10% of their target or something for their latest funds. So growth stage is going to hurt. I think pre-seed early venture is is fine and it's always kind of sheltered by markets. It's not completely sheltered, but it's somewhat sheltered from market cycles because you're coming in at what you hope to be the lowest valuation the company's ever going to raise at. And currently, I think it's one of the best times ever to be an early stage investor. One, people are slow to deploy. And so You've got a lot of founders uh, starting companies, which I'll explain why I think that I'm more bullish on that than some other people. We have a lot of founders starting companies now, less people investing, angel investors have really dried up. And so a lot of early stage deal terms are starting to pull back a little bit because that angel round is starting to go away. And so it's like, you have this weird in between of like an angel and a pre-seed round. And then two, there's a lot of talent in the market because you have the biggest layoffs in tech over like a 12-month period ever. So a lot of those people that are laid off or gone on started companies or they're, they're joining companies. So you have technical talent, for example, in the Midwest, a lot of founders struggle to, to kind of find that. Like there's a lot of great operators. It's just trying to find that technical founder to build the product. And there's a lot more of that now. So super bullish on where markets are going. I think for us, it's like, also trying to be cognizant of like deal terms. So like you see a lot of, you know, pre-product, pre-revenue, like really early stage companies and they're raising at like 10 to 20 million valuations. But then 12 months later, they're raising at like 12 to $22 million valuation. So it's like trying to kind of toe the line on that too. We don't necessarily care too much about ownership. It's more about backing quality founders, but there is, you know, some level of portfolio construction you have to be cognizant of and we do smaller checks. So like we can't be doing deals that are just, you know, 20, $30 million posts. But we are up on time. So we're going to have to wrap here. If any founders who are listening want to get in touch with you, Brett, where should they go? Uh, they can email me at brett at scale-vc.com or they can go to our website at scale-vc.com. We have a pitch us and take form that takes about five minutes to fill out. Just kind of helps us get prepared for that first intro call. Yeah. We're very responsive. I try to get back to every single person that emails me. So amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and share some of these lessons and share more about the fund. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I know the audience is going to as well. So thanks a lot for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Brett. This was fun. All right. Keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 